Well, good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen, and uh, thank you, Sheena, for your, uh, your words of introduction. Uh, I have to say, if somebody had ever said to me in one of these uh, casual submissions that comes up to me, you know, the kind of 150 that come up a day um, to be looked at, that uh, Sheena Adams was to be mentioned in the same sentence as Mary Doll, <laughs> it would have taken some imagination, I can assure you, but uh, I, I'm, I'm glad that you've now put that uh, image in my mind, Sheena. I, I'll never think of Registers of Scotland once again without thinking of Mary Doll. Um, uh, the, the, I was interested in some of the, uh, the, the comments that were made to me when I came in here that um, my uh, local government ministerial colleague, Derek Mackay, um, came to the, the event this morning and said that he was going to go through all the detail and leave the, the really exciting uh, parts for me to communicate this afternoon. So there's absolutely no pressure whatsoever arising out of that comment. Um, and, and it almost suggests a, a sense of, uh, of loyalty uh, amongst the junior ministerial team towards members of the Cabinet. Uh, I have to say to you, Mr Mackay's presence in government is, is, is an illustration of the acts of forgiveness that uh, go on in politics. Because uh, Derek Mackay, um, certainly in my estimation in his uh, early days in the Scottish National Party, uh, was one, one of the most uh, profoundly challenging young men we've ever had within the SNP. <laughs> Uh, he was very regularly viewed to be one of the difficult uh, young aspirants within the party, but uh, he's settling down very well now <laughs> into ministerial life, and uh, we're keeping him well hemmed in in what he does. Uh, but I'm glad he got you off to a good start this morning. Um, uh, my arrival here was, uh, and my signing of the pledge at the, the back here to encourage the whole process of collaboration and partnership and working together, um, was somewhat uh, dented when, after I had signed the, uh, the pledge, uh, Paul Gray intimated to me that he'd taken a photograph of it intended to use my signature for all sorts of nefarious purposes in relation to civil service pay. So um, you'll all be, well, some of you will be encouraged by that and some of you will be profoundly disappointed and irritated by it, but uh, nonetheless, um, it's, it's a good welcome to have when you come into uh, to the hub for these purposes. I'm glad that I'm here for another opportunity to share some of my reflections with you about where we are on the public service reform journey and particularly the role of public bodies in that process. Uh, you'll have gone through in, in, in the course of this morning uh, the foundations of the government's approach to public service reform, driven very much by the contribution given to us by the Christie Commission in 2011 which set out in the government's response to the Christie Commission, articulated um, what I think is a, a, an absolutely crystal clear sense of what is expected of the public service reform programme to be built around the four pillars of public service reform, uh, the focus on, on partnership, um, on working together between organisations predominantly at local level to ensure that we maximise the effectiveness of the resources we have um, uh, available to us at local level. Secondly, maximising the contribution of people uh, to the delivery of our public services and investing in the workforce to enable um, the workforce to, to make the maximum contribution possible to uh, our efforts. Thirdly, the emphasis on performance of recognising that in some um, parts of the country or in some areas of service, we have exceptional performance and we have performance that could be stronger and that there is nothing to be ashamed of in aspiring to learn lessons from one part of government or public service activity to learn lessons to 
transfer over into other areas of public service activity. Uh, and last, but certainly by no means least in my estimation, the focus on preventative interventions to ensure that we increasingly are designing public services that are preempting problems rather than picking up the pieces when problems uh, have arisen in the uh, in, in, in citizens' experience of public services or in the way that um, uh, we take them forward. And what I wanted to do today was to essentially put those four pillars of reform into some context uh, to, to set out why uh, this agenda remains utterly relevant and significant to the government's agenda at the present moment and what are essentially the ingredients that we need to bring to these four pillars to ensure that the programme is truly successful. So let me put it into some degree of context. We face a number of challenges as a society, um, some because of the constraints of public expenditure, some because of the changing nature of the population. And one of the things of which the government is absolutely crystal clear is that either the reducing financial envelope that is available to us or the, um, the uh, demographic changes within the population or the demands for service changes that arise out of the population. The reaction and the response from government that is simply not acceptable is for us to essentially say to members of the public, well, you might have got this in the past, but we can't manage to do it for you in the future. That's not a particularly aspirational message of the impact and the, uh, and the purpose of public services in people's lives. So our approach and our response is essentially to say, despite the financial challenges that we face, despite the issues that we must address about the changing nature of our demography, we have to use what resources we have to ensure that the service provision that we are able to put in place for members of the public, whilst potentially different, does not in any way need to be diminished. It needs, in fact, to be enhanced as a consequence of the better ways of working and the approaches that we can take through our combined efforts. And as we explore some of the responses that uh, are necessary in taking that forward, I want us to think about the, the, the open invitation, essentially, that comes out of this approach to all public servants in whatever field that they work in, to essentially be the co-producers of how we deliver the responses that are required in this respect, so that the individual public servants feel utterly empowered, whether uh, a public servant is operating as a chair or a chief executive of a public body, or working as a civil servant, or working as a local authority employee, or working as a, uh, a local authority elected member, or working within the police service or the fire and rescue service, or working wherever they are across the public service, that they are motivated and empowered to actually formulate some of those responses that are required to meet the challenges that we face in public service delivery. Because that, to me, is one of the um, essential in, uh, elements that we need to add into the public service reform process is a sense that every public servant can make their contribution to undertaking and supporting the process of reform in the area of activity in which they are involved. And um, if we are able to create that atmosphere of motivation within the public services, I am certain 
that we will be able to um, motivate and encourage a much greater degree of imaginative thinking about how the, uh, the services that we currently provide can be deployed in a fashion that meets the needs and the expectations of individuals within our society. So that's why in the, the, the government's response to the Christie Commission, we placed such emphasis on the motivation of, of people, of recognising that our workforce, those who are involved in public services, have a key and integral role in ensuring that the contribution they make is uh, an essential part of the reform process in which we are involved. So encouraging and empowering individuals to see themselves as part of the reform process and not to be waiting for the, um, the guidance and the direction that might come from, um, uh, from on high for this process, but that all public servants are operating in a culture where they feel empowered and enabled to deliver reform and improvements in, pro in, in performance at local level is a vital part of that, uh, that process. And that gives rise to some of the experience which I think you heard about, well, you will have heard about uh, this morning in the various workshops and the presentations of good practice around the country. Because what is absolutely crystal clear to me is that there is a tremendous amount of good work going on around the country in living up to the four pillars of reform that I have set out to you today and that we that were here in our response to the Christie Commission, that that um, approach is being uh, bought into and taken forward by a range of public bodies um, and uh, other public authorities the length and breadth of the country. The challenge is to make sure that in terms of living up to the, uh, you know, delivering the performance pillar of the Christie uh, Commission, that that experience is shared widely and openly across the country. One of the events that I'm looking forward to attending enormously, um, I think it must be next week actually, Jason Leach will tell me if I'm wrong, is the Early Years Collaborative event, um, which is a gathering of um, hundreds of public service representatives from around the country who come together, came together a few months ago for the first of these um, uh, exchanges to essentially encourage, nurture, motivate, share the experience and the best practice that, can, that has gone on in all different localities of the country. And in my view, that's exactly the type of discussion we need to be having to encourage and to motivate that um, sense of a shared and widely held agenda right across the country um, that can uh, promote good practice. And when we think about concepts like you know, performance and improvements in performance, there's a terribly near-jet reaction to think that what that will be translated into is into league tables and the, the, the ghastly debate that goes with league tables. That's not the purpose of us focusing on performance. The, the focus on performance is about creating the, the, the whole suite of ideas and approaches that will generate the improvements in performance and the improvements in practice that will lead to a cultural transformation around the country. And ventures like the Early Years Collaborative is just one example of how in one area of policy uh, that approach has been used to, I think, absolutely magnificent effect. And I'm looking forward enormously uh, to, to taking part in that in the course of next week. And of course, what that Early Years Collaborative also manages to do is it weaves together 
the, the variety of interests of different people focused on the needs of young people in our society. It's not just about a health service event. It's not just about a schools or a, a nursery education event. It's about looking at how together, combined, working as a cohesive public service, we can actually deliver the very best approach for our, the youngest in our society. And that um, approach essentially encourages the, the third element of our uh, response to Christie, of that sense of partnership, that whoever we are, whatever badge we happen to have walked in the doors today wearing, representing the organisation that we're participating in, it, you know, what matters is how productively we contribute into the combined space where we all try to work together on improving or delivering the best outcomes for the youngest people in our society or the oldest people in our society or whichever group of society we happen to be focused on in our priorities. So ensuring that we create that genuine, unpossessive, open climate of partnership where we're not sort of holding on to our resources and being protective about them, but are actually openly discussing how we can utilise our resources uh, with other public bodies to the maximum effect of the citizens that we serve um, has to be at the heart of that discussion. And nowhere will that be more relevant and important than in pursuing aggressively the preventative spend and the prevention agenda. Because one of the things that's impressed me enormously is the way in which a number of, in a number of areas of the public service, um, public servants have felt um, liberated to get on with thinking about how we can deploy um, good preventative thinking and to bring other people into the process. I had a magnificent opportunity to meet with um, a range of um, a charitable organisations uh, from England, along with the Robertson Trust and a number of our own justice officials, uh, for a discussion about how, in our reducing reoffending programmes, um, our officials had uh, had not just thought about well, what are we, what have we got in our control? How are we able to work with the resources that we've got to tackle reoffending? But how they were able to reach out beyond the boundaries of government to work with the Robertson Trust. And crucially, to motivate from within the Robertson Trust a long-term financial commitment to work with the government on tackling reoffending. And uh, the, the observers who were up from, from various charitable organisations in England, all of whom had a focus on reoffending, were in awe of the climate that our, uh, our team had been able to create of reaching out beyond government to mobilise and to enlist the support of other organisations who had a mutual interest but wouldn't normally see themselves as being part of government in trying to deliver some of these outcomes. So it's an example of us thinking about how we can truly motivate beyond the confines of government, all the necessary uh, participation and support to uh, realise our ambitions. And I think there's important lessons in the preventative agenda where there is wide acceptance across civic society in Scotland today that we are doing exactly the right thing by focusing on preventative interventions, that we can make a much greater impact if we um, bring into uh, scope uh, a whole range of other organisations that can make a good contribution in that respect. Now, 
If you look at some of the work that is being undertaken in partnership with third sector organisations, I used the example there of the Robertson Trust working with us on the reoffending programmes. If you look at some of the innovative work that is going on where the boundaries of the public sector are not being presented to uh, third sector organisations as the rigid boundaries that they may at one time have been, but where we essentially open up our public sector to much more active participation with third sector organisations. Not only will that assist us, I think, in finding some of the, the keys to unlocking the, um, uh, the, the routes that will deliver some of the best outcomes in terms of preventative interventions, but it will also um, open up a whole range of different individuals who can be part of the journey with us in trying to achieve our objectives on preventative interventions. So broadening out the scope of our partnership activity from not just within the, the public sector, but to truly reaching other parts of our society, particularly the third sector, where we can make um, a very discernible uh, impact on the achievement of outcomes for members of the public. So in, in, in addressing the financial challenges that we face, the demographic challenges that we face, there is a, a very clear route map, I think, available to public servants as to how we should go about that through the four pillars of public service reform, prevention, people, performance and partnership. But there are a couple of um, ingredients that we must ensure are added into the mix. We must add into the mix um, the sense of um, invitation, of, of, of participation, of um, enablement for all public servants to be involved in this process. Let's not hide behind the need for elaborate programmes and uh, strategies defined within organisations to dictate practice at local level. Let's liberate and enable people to take forward that process at local level. And secondly, the other ingredient that we must constantly be deploying in this process is a very aggressive pace of reform. Because, you know, in, in politics, you, you often get pressed for what is your, your plan B. And I find it a fundamentally sterile discussion, you know, because it involves you contemplating the lack of success of the agenda that you're involved in. Why should we decide what is the best route to take and then formulate some other inferior plan which is predicated on plan A not working. It's a fundamentally defeatist approach to reform. But to ensure that we succeed in our agenda of reforming the public services, there must be a constant and vigorous attention to the pace of reform and aggressively delivering that pace of reform um, in our public service activity within Scotland. Um, and only by that route will we be able to sustain the, uh, the, the, the services and the propositions that we put forward to members of the public, which I think are the entitlement of the, the members of the public to be on the receiving end of good quality, effective public services that, yes, go through reform, but still fulfil the expectations of members of the public. And then also have some chance to realise the full impact of the reform agenda in, uh, in, in, in ensuring that we can live within the resources that we have available to us um, and delivering on the expectations of people in Scotland. 
There's one final observation that I want to leave with you about how this all fits together. And it's, it's something which I think we take casually um, for granted. And it's a reform that the government introduced in its first spending review in, uh, in, in the autumn of 2007. And that's Scotland Performs, the National Performance Framework, and all that goes with it. What the National Performance Framework is about is about painting a picture of the type of country we are trying to create. It's not a report card on the government. It's not about whether the government's doing well or doing badly. It's about whether our country is making sufficient progress to a destination where the country is, in the words of the government's purpose, creating opportunities for all to flourish through increasing sustainable economic growth. And under, underneath that are a whole set of national outcomes which paint a very clear picture of the type of country we want Scotland to be. And these are not narrowly held party political aspirations of, of the current government. I'm very confident these are broadly shared objectives within civic society in Scotland. Now, we undertook that reform to essentially give a picture to all public servants, whether they work in the health service, a public body, local government, people working outside the public sector, in the third sector, in the private sector, of what is the direction of travel of the government. And one of the things that I'm most proud of is a government, in the face of all the political turbulence that goes on in life, and we see plenty of political turbulence in the administration south of the border, we've stuck utterly rigidly to that framework and have worked to deliver it. And in that respect, we've had tremendous participation and engagement from all elements of the public sector, the third sector and the private sector within Scotland. So that framework of policymaking is clear. It gives a very uh, definitive route as to where we are, of where we're trying to go. And it is essentially an invitation to public servants to assist us in designing how best we can get there. And I think that's now become part of the furniture in Scotland. But we have to be aware that international commentary now says that that framework is amongst the finest in the world. Scotland Performs is described by Professor Joe Stieglitz in his evidence to the Economy Committee of Parliament as one of the three best performance assessment frameworks that exist in public policy in the world. And we created it here, we've built it here, and we have an opportunity to deliver against it here in Scotland. And at the heart of that performance framework isn't about saying, is the government doing well or is the government doing badly? At the heart of that framework is answering the question, are we improving the lives of the people we have the privilege to serve? And surely that must be at the heart of all of the decisions that we take as public servants, whether as ministers or as uh, people working within the public services. So I think we should have a lot of confidence from that international rec recognition of the quality of the uh, policy framework in which we are operating, of the performance framework in which we are operating, to recognise that uh, we have a very clear direction of travel. The challenge is can we move fast enough with sufficient imagination to ensure that the type of reform that needs to be undertaken can be undertaken and can it be undertaken within the spirit of the four pillars of reform 
that I have set out to you this afternoon and which are the hallmarks of our approach. I'm very confident that we are moving in the absolutely the correct direction on public service reform. What I encourage you to do and what I need you to do is to give it impetus and imagination. And I'm sure the proceeds of today's discussions will help us in that process. Thank you very much. Thank you very much, Mr Swinney. I think we've time for probably just a couple of questions. So there are roving mics. If you have a question, can you give your name and organisation? Don't be shy. Gentleman at the back. No. <laughs> uh, ben Thompson, Chairman of the National Galleries of Scotland. Um, thank you very much, Cabinet Secretary, and I am very much welcome uh, the Scottish Government's move to look at outcomes rather than inputs or, or outputs. Um, the one question, you've clearly set out what the outcomes generally are. Do you feel that we have the right measurement systems and people understand those measurement systems for what outcomes they're trying to get to? And, uh, and do you feel that then they're properly linked to how they're related to budgets and inputs. So, um, I mean, it's, it's very good that we've moved to outcomes and what's better for society generally, but I just wonder whether or not people are clear on how those then get measured and how that measurement then leads on to the financial arrangements for developing them further. I think there's a, there's a, I think a, a very clearly um, set out framework of, um, uh, information that we gather to, well, government gathers an absolutely colossal amount of information. The, the, the statistical releases that the government makes, you know, I, I see a report on a monthly basis of the statistical releases that are going to be made, and, you know, like probably paper the walls, well, it would be probably to offend um, Historic Scotland to paper the walls of this place with those sheets, but um, it would be, you know, we could probably do it. Um, so we gather a huge amount of data. What's essential is that we, you know, we, 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 we penetrate that data to identify what is giving us the, um, the correct um, assessment of whether we're making progress or not. Now, we've gone through a couple of exercises over the last six years of looking at the, um, the, the indicators that are part of the, the Scotland Performance Framework to try to get that as finely tuned as we possibly can do. Um, is it perfect? Well, I'm, I'm sure we could look at it again tomorrow and come up with a, a, a better suite of indicators. But I do think we've got the information that assists us in judging whether or not we are making progress. Um, I think the, we should always, however, be open to uh, testing and assessing whether we have that balance correct. And that's part of what I intend to do with the Scotland Performs exercise. I think the more significant point is whether or not we use that data to properly influence the decision making that we undertake. And that again must be something on which we're constantly focused to ensure that when we're, you know, when we're looking at the data, we are then learning the lessons from that data. You know, if I, I, I go through an exercise um, uh, I get the report on them again on a monthly basis of the relative change in the, the, the in, in Scotland performance. So I'm looking at 
Where are we doing better than we were before? Where are we doing worse than we're doing before? And we've now started looking very directly at the areas where we're not performing as effectively to determine whether there are policy interventions that we can take which will assist in, in, in turning that around. Some of it is um, slightly more challenging. Some of it is about relative economic performance, which is kind of, you know, uh, uh, some kind of slow burn material we've got to, uh, to go through to, to, to cover that ground. Others may be the subject of more direct policy interventions to try to improve performance. So I think the, 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 the information is there. Uh, we just need to make sure that um, we are interrogating it properly and effectively. The final observation I'd make is about the link to money, um, because you know, doesn't everything, I suppose, come back to money? Um, increasingly, um, you know, one of the things the government doesn't have any difficulty in arriving at is agreement around its priorities and the balance of its interventions. I, I, I think the, the process we go through uh, as an organisation to do that um, creates a, a very strong amount of cohesion, as I think was evidenced in, uh, in the two principal spending reviews that we have undertaken. Um, so I think the, the, the relationship between um, what we're trying to achieve and what we allocate the money for is, um, is quite direct. Where I think it might get interrupted is whether we use, you know, we, we of necessity we allocate money to different organisations to take forward the agenda. And where that whole approach may get interrupted or challenged might be if there is too much possessiveness around a particular budget in a particular organisation and not enough willingness to see how that, the resources one organisation can bring to the table of either a community planning partnership at local level or a wider partnership body, um, and it can be used to more and greater effect in, um, in, in, in a collaborative way with other organisations than just being deployed by um, one organisation. So I suppose the challenge is always to break out of the compartments within which we operate and which we allocate money uh, to make sure that um, organisations can make the most impact on delivering the outcomes upon which we're all agreed. Gentleman over on the this side of the hall. Thank you. <coughs> Excuse me. Yeah, yeah, Alistair McNair, Royal Botanic Garden, Edinburgh. Really picking up on that last point, we are um, starting a process of actually addressing that whole issue, working with the performance unit and myself and the Edinburgh University, and there's a poster up there in the one in blue is actually addressing the very question that the gentleman at the back answered to build on the national performance framework, the linkages from outputs to outcomes within organisations and then up to the national performance framework, because we think there is a bit of a disconnect in the, in the way you've just uh, um, highlighted there, Mr Swinney. So, so there is work going on, but what we will need is some bodies to participate in this research programme. So anybody that wishes to get involved in this will be very much welcome either getting in touch with myself or David Signorini in the performance unit in Scottish Government. Okay. I, think, I, think the, the, I think what I would reiterate today is the invitation to, um, to organisations. Um, you know, the, the performance framework is there as um, really for everybody. It's, you know, it's not something that, um, you know, when we formulated the Scotland Performance in 2007, 
Um, we did it um, as part of the, um, the negotiations that I took forward with, um, uh, with uh, Pat Waters and COSLA, which led to the concordat between national and local government. It was a recognition that we were trying to create um, what would be described as a shared focus between all elements of government. And the key invitation of all that is to say to any organisation, whoever the organisation happens to be, you are invited to participate and see what you can contribute towards the realisation of these outcomes. Um, so I think the, the, the more organisations can look at that uh, performance framework and consider what more they could be doing to assist and to enhance that journey, uh, the more effective uh, that performance framework will be in defining the choices and the decisions that are arrived at within public bodies and organisations. Okay, one more question and then we'll have to move on. Paul. Thanks, Mr. Swinney. Paul Gray, as I think you know. Um, the, uh, and thank you for your uh, remarks, or most of them. Um, the um, question is, th there is a political context, and there is a, uh, there is a referendum on independence coming up. And one of the reasons why it might not be opportune to make changes at the moment is because that might undermine competence in government. I, I would like your advice for, for colleagues here in the room about how we navigate that political context sensitively and sensibly, but don't allow it to be a means to stop anything from happening. I think the, well, I, 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 let, let, let me say for, for once in your life, Paul, you're sounding not, not the most positive person in the room, if I might say. I don't think automatically reform um, or the difficulty of reform um, has to be considered within the, uh, the context of a debate about competence. Uh, you know, we, we've set a direction of travel and we should go on with doing it properly and effectively. And that's, that's, that's my sense of where we are and what we're doing. And the reform programme that I've outlined today is a reform programme that um, has to proceed um, regardless of the constitutional context in which we are operating. There is a you know, there are challenges out there that we need to uh, address our minds to. And this, the, the approach that I've set out today is the government's considerate and considered view of how best to do that, consistent with the government's political philosophy. Because what the government is, what the government doesn't want to do is the government doesn't want in any way to undermine the... Um, expectations of members of the public of what they will of what they will receive from public services uh, as a consequence of the challenging financial times in which we operate so we've got to find a different way of operating to make the resources go further and i think we've got a, a very substantial armory of information that demonstrates how we're managing to do that um, there are um you know, difficult reforms that are undertaken. We've just gone through major structural reform on the police and fire services, which I think have, uh, you know, which I think have gone extremely well. Um, and uh, there's clearly, you know, there are reforms that are, are still taking their course, but um, that I, I think are performing well. Um, the reforms around the implementation of the 
Christie Commission's recommendations um, need to be sustained through the uh, the period that lies ahead. But it's a it's it's essentially an agenda that recognises the need for us to change the way in which we deliver public services, but doing it in a fashion that does not undermine the relationship between public and government about uh, how those, um, those services are delivered. And I don't think the constitutional argument gets in the way of that essential journey. Um, of course, the constitutional agenda will, well, it will probably attract more political attention than public service reform will attract. Um, but the government's made its choices on public service reform, the nature of that reform. Uh, you know, we could do different things. You know, I could respond to you know, the, the rather regular um, demand for me to uh, reduce the number of local authorities in Scotland. But I don't believe that to be the best way to proceed. It's got nothing to do with the referendum on independence. I just don't think it's the right way to proceed because I think it would uh, redirect and divert essential thinking within the public sector onto something that I don't think would actually deliver the improvements um, while sustaining the services that members of the public um, expect. So we've got a very clear plan. I think it, it, it has to proceed regardless of the constitutional context, and I don't think the constitutional context provides any impediment or obstruction to have been taken forward. What we need to have is pace and imagination to do so. Okay, thank you very much, Mr Swinney. Uh, we're obviously very grateful for you coming along today to share time with us and to share your thinking. Uh, and obviously that leads us nicely into the next session that we're going to have about what we're actually going to be doing in our kind of family groupings. So no doubt you'll get feedback from colleagues on how that went. But thank you very much for taking the time. My pleasure. Thank you. Thank you.